0: good morning it is Wednesday the 6th of April 2022 I'm Carmen LeBurge. you're listening to mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio network um, if you haven't ever done so I encourage you to download the faith radio app on your phone you can get it well, you know wherever you get your apps um, all kinds of great things to access there and it's a really simple way to share the ministry with others we'd love for you to connect with faith radio via social media you can follow faith radio on Facebook Instagram, We send out scripture and quote graphics and links to articles, and we have special giveaways and live stream event notifications. So all you have to do is search Faith Radio on Facebook and Instagram and connect with us in those ways as well. also want to invite you to join us in reading the Bible together. We have a Reading the Bible Together resource page on our website, myfaithradio.com, as well as um, uh, a video there inviting you into reading the Bible together during Holy Week specifically. So we'd love for you to join us. The daily readings start April the 10th. So there's only a few days left for you to sign up and actually um, be able to, you know, like receive in the mail, the printed free reading the Bible together guide. There is going to be a daily podcast hosted by our very own Angela Smith, So go ahead and subscribe, listen to the daily Reading the Bible Together podcast, download the free study guide, all available for free. We're just inviting you to join us in Reading the Bible Together during Holy Week. You can find those resources at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, uh, yesterday, uh, world leaders, including Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the United States Ambassador to the U.N., urging the United Nations to... um, boot Russia, throw Russia out of the human rights and security councils of the United Nations. Um, It it basically makes a mockery of the entire system that uh, Russia would remain in those positions. However, it's also very, very difficult to remove a permanent member. And Russia is a permanent member. And there's other very bad actors on the Human Rights um, Commission of the the United Nations as well. Uh, And so I do think that the U.N. Security Council is going to have an opportunity to have some conversations about maybe completely redesigning how the United Nations works in light of 21st century realities that I think were not anticipated when the system was organized. Um, A law to make you aware of now in Colorado, Governor Jared Polis signed a bill legalizing abortion with no limits and no conscious protections. Um, This is... um, This is going to be a story you're going to hear widely covered in Christian news outlets. Um, It is all kinds of reporting at Life News. If you want to check it out directly there, you can read the articles about it. But I suspect that you and I are going to hear a lot about this. And this conversation boils down to whether or not abortion is a, quote, fundamental right. And as the Supreme Court reconsiders whether or not abortion is a fundamental right, nationally under federal law, that's revisiting Roe v. Wade, every state is basically now doing the same thing. Well, Colorado has decided that, yes, under its state law, abortion is a fundamental right and therefore denies all rights and legal protections to any, quote, fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus up to birth. Yeah, you heard me right, up to birth, California is considering going even beyond that. There's an assembly bill in California, Assembly Bill 2223, that has uh, already crossed the committee hurdle and therefore will go to the full um, the full legislature in California. California is moving forward with a bill that would expand uh, abortion. To the killing of babies past the moment of birth, up to several weeks yeah you heard me right. Now we are uh, no longer talking about um prenatal death uh we are now talking about perinatal death. Perinatal death varies now, the definitions of it vary although they certainly include the death of a baby um outside the womb so it's gonna be uh something for the courts to interpret and um yeah we're not no longer talking about abortion, even late-term abortion, even the abortion of fully-formed fetuses who would absolutely be living people if they were allowed to be born. Um, We are talking about the infanticide of children. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, God help us. We're sort of at the God help us mercy stage of some of these headlines, and I recognize that. So uh, how do we bring the mind of Christ to bear on these issues and other issues of the day? Um, We do so prayerfully We do so with sober judgment. We do so um, confessing before the Lord, our God, that we, the people, have allowed this to happen. This did happen under our watch. Um, And so we are free to express our concerns, and I believe that we are responsible to do so. Next up, Jeff Bilbro is going to be back. Uh, He's from Grove City College. He aggregates a, a blog at Front Porch Republic called The Water Dipper, and we are going to dip into The Water Dipper next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, Jeff Bilbro is back from Grove City College and Front Porch Republic. You can find what we are going to be talking today in The Water Dipper, available at Front Porch Republic. Jeff, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Sober headlines, I know. Talk with us about what is going on with the mainstream media um, and why they don't see their own sort of internal hypocrisy related to disinformation.
1: Yeah, I thought this was a good column from uh, Megan McArdle in the Washington Post, because I get frustrated. Sometimes you listen to I talk to somebody and they they signal out, uh, you know, right wing media problems, which certainly exist. And uh, the kind of disinformation that can spread through social media and certain websites. And then then I talk to somebody else and they talk about how uh, it's just the mainstream media that's that is uh, evil and spreading lies, but, you know, their preferred media sources are the truth. And I think um, both of those get it half right, and, um, but they, they tend to focus the blame on the other side of the political spectrum and don't recognize the ways that, uh, yeah, our, our information flow and its unhealthy problems is pretty bipartisan right now. And so I appreciated her, you know, kind of calling out her own tribe in this and saying it's easier to point fingers at the people that we don't like, but we have to look in the mirror and see the ways in which we might be prone to, um, yeah, prone to believing stories that confirm our biases and overlooking those which are more uncomfortable. So she talks about, say the Hunter Biden laptop, laptop stories and, uh, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and other ways that uh, the mainstream media has contributed to the loss of people's trust in uh, what they read and hear.
0: So I did see um, polling that there is one news outlet, one media outlet that people do still trust. Um, it's the Weather Channel.
1: <laughs> Although that also That's has it. problems, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. No. I, yeah. Well. And what does it say about us that? The, yeah. that, the one, that the one that's out there that we do trust is actually the one that's least, I mean, I, I mean, which completely reliant, I guess, on on forecasting and um, right. experiences in the past repeating themselves. So there you go. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, tradition, place, and things divine. This is a um, John Grove piece that you also have posted at FrontPorchRepublic.com on the Water Dipper. Um, th- this was, I just thoroughly enjoyed this.
1: Yeah. So John was talking about a conference that took place actually at Grove City College where I teach uh, a couple of weeks ago and I got to attend that and hear some sessions and give a paper. And he talks about how in an age where, um, you know, politics can so dominate our consciousness and conversation, this conference was refreshing because it wasn't at the top of the mind. People were talking about uh, art and culture and maybe politics in a much broader, older sense and celebrating, uh, authors or ideas or artists that they find worth celebrating. And, um, yeah, it was a, a conference, a conference with a lot of laughter and good conversation and, you know, people from different disciplines or different backgrounds, uh, just sharing the, the things that they're studying and thinking about and, you know the the beautiful things that should be uh attended to and i think sometimes we get so focused on critique and bemoaning what's wrong with the world that we forget to praise and celebrate and attend to things that are good
0: i uh i recently talked with um what was his last name's baxter his first name is uh, jason baxter yeah, about that, his book yes, was on book. C.S. Lewis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, and one of the things that um, I, mean, I was reminded of in that book is the importance of reading old books, the importance yeah. of reading things that were written a very long time ago, um, being reminded of, um, yes, the more things change, well, frankly, the more they stay the same. There is a, a grounding that takes place when we recognize um, that the time in which we live, the people that we are, the challenges that we face are actually not all that unique. Just, that's yeah, right very very
1: helpful and I was say conservatives well, should be uh should be engaged in that kind of act of recovery and reminding of of the things that have been passed that shouldn't be forgotten
0: amen absolutely active recovery of the things past that should not be yeah. forgotten the good, the beautiful, and the true we're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. I am uh, wandering around in um in his aggregated blog on frontporchrepublic.com. It's called the Water Dipper. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College, uh, he he blogs at FrontporchRepublic dot com. You can find there uh, a resource called the Water Dipper. I'm reading from it now. So, um. Tish Oxenrider has uh, joined us here on um on the program before and she um she has this piece uh, uh, uh about why we're required to find beauty and she makes reference in it to a sermon by CS Lewis learning in wartime. Um talk talk with us about this because this is really helpful.
1: Yeah, and I I love that sermon by Lewis. I return to it often. I teach it whenever I can. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a really rich reminder of how we should conduct ourselves in times of crisis, whether it's in his case, World War II, or uh, a couple of years ago, I thought it was really helpful during the, the outbreak of COVID, or now Tish applies it to uh, you know, the war in Ukraine. And I think what she emphasizes here is so timely and I guess perennially true that, I mean, let me just read this one sentence from her piece. She says, when we hop from one problem to the next with no pause to remember frequently, that the reason we long to eradicate such atrocities is so that we can share with our fellow human beings, the beauty that makes us drop to our knees. Then we make the world's barbarism a near idol and our outrage merely performative. So I think she, yeah, she gets it right that we need to defend and celebrate and enjoy the beautiful and the good uh, more than we condemn the evil because uh, otherwise, we forget why the evil is a problem—that it's a, a privation of these good things that we're made for, and made to participate in.
0: It's easier to point to the pepper um, than to, you know, sort of celebrate the salt. Um, yeah. And exactly. and I think yeah, and I and I think we have grown up in and then are cultivating a culture where we have become very adept. Particularly, you know, I mean, I think this is particularly true among conservatives who become very adept at pointing at the things that are wrong. I mean, I'm I, I've already been guilty of this today. I pointed at Colorado and California related to changes in abortion law on the on, on the gross and utterly extreme end of the destruction of life. I didn't lift up headlines where um, abortion um, laws have been strengthened in the direction of the protection of life and so i i I'm guilty of it myself, um, and i and I recognize that, so this change of mind um, this change of where we place our attention, the change in what we elevate in our discourse i mean this is this is, needs to be applied to all of us
1: yeah, and it certainly requires discernment, right i I think no one is suggesting that we never critique evil but uh, but yeah that in in our current context, maybe it's more uh, it's easier for us, i guess to bemoan the the evils that we are worried about or fearful of, and uh we neglect to to focus on and participate in the goods that are at hand and and that we're called to uh to tend mm.
0: i um uh i learned yesterday about this uh, global effort of chefs in uh i mean like you know like real chefs who in, in times of disaster and in places of war, they have organized themselves globally um, to set up um, kitchens in or to use kitchens that are available in schools or government buildings or institutions um, and then to feed people. And I, I got to tell you, they're, they're feeding 300,000 people a day right now, right now. Wow. Um, at 300,000 people every single day around the world in, in, all, in, a, you know, in a myriad number of places. Um, but they're doing uh, tons of work on the ground in Ukraine and in the nations surrounding Ukraine where you know most of the refu- refugees have flowed. Um, and I don't think we celebrate those things, and I think oftentimes we don't point to them because they're not expressly or explicitly Christian. And so part of what I'm reminded of is we need to point to the good, Wherever it is and whoever is doing it, um, even if it you know isn 't wearing uh, you know a, a public mantle of um, of, of christian ministry it 's Christian ministry nonetheless
1: yeah no that 's right, and I, I' remind you in this context too of alan jacob 's tagline for his blog, which is more lighting of candles, less cursing the darkness uh, I, I really think that 's a great a great mantra
0: mm, so good, all right, um, I probably have time for us to talk about one more bit from the water dipper. There was so much this week, like I was really hard to narrow it down. So do you want to talk about recovering piety or the mystery of being human in a dehumanizing world?
1: Oh, well, let's talk about piety because it's kind of a good uh, segue.
0: (laughs) Good. Let's talk about piety. What does Alan Jacobs have to say about recovering piety?
1: Yeah, I I guess it really is a, a continuation of what we've been talking about in some ways, but he talks about how and uh, he draws on on Lewis for this, um, how we can uh, get very um, in, in involved and invested in working on you know uh, defending things that we think are good, and and getting kind of angry and uh, upset about all the threats to that, and yet we can lose this very Christian and classic virtue of piety of of love of the good. Uh, that we are trying to defend in our fear and anger. And so it's a, in many ways a, a kind of a call to recover the practices of piety, the practices of love uh, and, and build our lives and our institutions around our loves rather than around our fears or the things that we uh, are angry about.
0: So when you think about that um, and you unpack that a little bit further, you know, let's talk about practical application. Um, It's one thing for me to sort of resist constantly debating, um, particularly Mm. those who are uninformed. Um, and And then it's another thing for me to feel like I'm ever adequately prepared to open my mouth. I mean, even just a minute ago, when I, you know, sort of jumped into this thought I had, I didn't, you know i couldn't my mind couldn't put its uh, put its mental hands around um world central kitchen, which you know is is what I should have said when I started talking about the chefs right I should have said should have made reference to the organization, but in the moment I couldn't remember it. Talk a little bit about preparation as a part of piety,
1: yeah, yeah, I think that's right, and I think you know Jacobs concludes his essay by saying that piety like charity begins at home. Uh, and that we have to prepare ourselves, that we have to um, you know rededicate ourselves to to prayer to uh, to studying the Bible of course and and the church uh traditions and uh and then hope that that can you know shape us into the kind of people who can spread that attitude in our churches and in our communities and in the other institi- institutions that we uh inhabit and have influence in. Uh, but it's a it's a long process. It doesn't it's not a quick fix?
0: No, it is a long. Yeah, certainly, it is a long process. All right, uh, you guys can find the water dipper, all of the articles that we just talked about with Jeff Bilbro, but so many more that we couldn't get to today. It's all at frontporchrepublic.com. dot com. Jeff as always. Thank you so much, and blessings on um, what you're doing today among students and faculty and people in the community. Um, we we genuinely appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much, Carmen.
0: Absolutely. Um, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen Leberge. Uh Next up, we're gonna talk with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Where in the word are you today? Where in the Word are you today? Uh, I spent time last evening uh, in a Zoom small group that uh, that I have just joined. We're doing a discipleship journey together. Um, and one of the passages of Scripture that, um, I don't know, God just raised to my mind was from James chapter 5, verse 16. Um, this is going to seem strange to you that God raised this to mind in the context of conversation with other Christians, but here you go. Therefore, con- confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We often, I think, um, go to the end of that verse. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, or the prayer of a righteous woman is powerful and effective. And we, um, we don't do the first part. We don't confess our sins to each other. Um, so pray for me today. I will be praying for you. I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I confess that Christ alone has the power to forgive. I also confess that Christ has done everything necessary for my salvation and for yours. Confess your sins today. Um, I'll be praying for you that you may be healed in the way that ultimately matters the most, and that is that you would be forgiven of your sins and reconciled to God the Father through God the Son by the power of God the Spirit. I'll be praying for you. You'll be praying for me as well. Next up, we're going to talk with Ruth Kramer about a range of headlines from around the world. Ruth, comes to us from Mission Network News, and she brings us um, testimonies of what Christ's people are doing deployed around the globe. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer is back from Mission Network News. She's going to take us around the world and help us see what is happening from a Christian worldview and how Christians around the world are being used by God to meet material needs um, in all kinds of places. So, Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, All right. So, um, Ukraine, we have uh, talked about this story from a number of angles. What's What's the angle you'd like to bring to us today?
2: Well, you know, we, uh, we've we been, all of us have been talking to ministries to find out what's been happening and how it's affecting them. Uh, obviously, this is another one of the stories that uh, talks about impact and effect and how the body of Christ is being used. Um, one of our partners, Mission Eurasia, um, had their headquarters in Erpene destroyed last week, and uh, the soldiers ra- raided the stores of uh what they had inside and brought all the gospels of John out of the warehouse and then burned them in the street. Um so it wasn't really a military target it was it was a it felt like a uh an act of vandalism. Uh in addition to all of the other things that were going on. Um so that's that's one area um another partner Slavic Gospel Association was saying that uh their seminary was hit by mortar fire while they were sheltering people uh, who had fled from some of the other firing uh, of the the village around them. And so they all went to the basement and just kind of hunkered down while the seminary was on fire. This is just the reality of how they're dealing with things. And the body of Christ says, We're going to open our doors, and where we can, we will shelter you. We will, uh, you know, provide for your physical needs as well as minister to your your spiritual needs. So that led me to ask Keys for Kids how they're— speaking into the situation because they have so many partnerships in Ukraine. Um, they're working with Send International, actually, and uh, working to translate Keys for Kids and the Teenage devotional unlocked into Russian and Ukrainian. And that project had actually started before the invasion uh, and it was completed, but the issue was that they didn't have a way to print it at the time. Now, pastors are saying, hey, we really need this material because, uh, you know, as you might imagine, all of the trauma that is going on around you, uh, around us in Ukraine, is really hitting the kids hard. And we need something to encourage them, to point them to Christ, and that's something that speaks their language. Um, So Keys for Kids is now moving that uh, project up to the forefront. They've got a printer in Poland that they're hopefully going to be able to work with in the near future. Uh, At this stage, they were actually um, sending in uh, materials, and they're already gone. Um, they have a request for 200,000 new printings of Keys for Kids and Unlocked that are going to hopefully be printed up in Poland, but they just, uh, they're just they raising the funds for that right now. So that's an, an issue of prayer. And if you feel led—I mean, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but if you feel led to speak into the situation, especially to some of these emotional and spiritual needs for children, I would really strongly suggest looking into the Keys for Kids project. Mm-hmm. All right, which you can find
0: more information about at missionnews.org. Let's um I mean there's so many threads we could pull in Ukraine, but let's yep. let's pivot to another part of the world. Um and thank you for highlighting uh the story about uh the headquarters of Mission Eurasia. We just talked yesterday with Andy Carr um and he referenced that as well um from Feed My Starving Children. So, thank you for highlighting that again. A really critical um partner in the region. Let's um Let's let's pivot to Sri Lanka first of all, Ruth. For people who haven't taken a geography lesson lately, um, remind us where it is, and then tell us what's going on um, there in terms of the unrest.
2: Well, it's it's I'm, I I want to say rice delta. Um, this is one of the situations that I think has gone under the radar because of everything else that's happening uh, around the world. Um, Sri Lanka has had a severe Um, economic crisis in Southeast Asia area. And uh, this is a a very small island nation um, that typically has been pretty stable, I think. Um, Their primary religion is Buddhism. Uh, The evangelical church is present, but also in very small numbers. So uh, things have to be uh, handled carefully, because there are still some difficulties that face uh that that face, present challenges for ministries uh, in this situation, you have um, massive protests that have been taking place over the last couple of months that uh really reached a peak uh starting friday uh you had protesters that were actually storming the presidential palace you had um, uh conflict between the soldiers and the protesters in the streets. And it led to a state of emergency uh, that was declared at the beginning of the week, which has now been revoked. And in the process of all of this, you've had massive... um, Uh, resignations out of the cabinet. So the cabinet has has quit. Basically, the state of emergency has been revoked. Uh, There's talk of a snap election that might come around. The finance minister uh, quit right before uh, the talks for the International Monetary Fund. Uh, There's no food. There's no fuel. There's um, no government in play. So when you're looking at the situation, it feels like mass chaos. And we spoke with a Christian worker who's serving in the country, and he was extremely openly critical of the government. Uh, So we had to kind of take some steps to to protect the security of this person, um, because the government is also cracking down on dissenters, silencing the dissenters, anyone they think is not on board with what they're doing. And um, that's also led to a massive shutdown on social media and the Internet. So if you know anybody that's working in Sri Lanka, uh be praying for them because this is a very difficult time. Uh it's not a situation that's being widely covered because everybody's looking at Ukraine and uh and Russia right now. So be praying for those who are in ministry in Sri Lanka, please.
0: And it's and it's really it's all driven by a desperate shortage of food and and fuel. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. It's it's yeah. I was going to say it's very similar to what happened with Haiti, where you mm-hmm. had uh, different agreements with how you were going to see subsidies and fuel and, and the provision of that. And then um, there were accusations of corruption because the fuel wasn't getting to the people. And there really isn't fuel. There's, there's nothing to power the vehicles. There's, there's no petrol for anything. Uh, the generators aren't working right now. There, there's just nothing and milk isn't available. So, you know, basic things for children are becoming more and more scarce. Um, and it just seems like they're, they're in deadlock right now, which is why the people have taken to the streets. Uh, they're defying the national curfew, well, which is no longer in play because the, the president revoked it yesterday. But um, these kinds of things, they're not, they're clearly not under control. And it's at a tipping point. And so the believers that are in the country are saying, just be praying because we don't know how this is going to go down. We don't mm-hmm. know how this is going to change or it's going to clamp down on our freedom to speak out or our freedom to gather or any of the things that happen when you see something like this starting to trickle down with the governments really trying to get control back.
0: Yeah, it's an extraordinary situation. And, um, and, and as you said, um, it's. It has literally escaped the attention of the world because we've been busy watching other things. Um, even China has uh, issued a warning to its citizens in Sri Lanka and travel advisories not to go there. Um, and, you know, when that's happening, um, you know, things are pretty serious. Talk with us about a new new Internet law in China that you um, are discussing at missionnews.org.
2: Well, that law went into effect on March 1st, um, so it didn't come without prior warning about what was going to happen with the new regulations and how that was going to be um, enforced. Um, the law allows only religious groups with government approval to share their content over the internet. So that's that's causing a lot of concern for ministries. Uh, we spoke with China Partner that works with its a ministry that works with the registered church. And so what they're saying is that pastors are applying for permission. Um, that's actually a loophole within the law and the loophole is that each, each individual company, organization, or church can actually apply for internet access permission. Now, whether or not they're granted that, we don't know uh, how that's going to shake out just yet. Um, but China Partner seems to indicate that their uh, their folks on the ground are, I guess, wary. But not overly alarmed, because they have good relationships with uh the government officials um as as part of a um, an organization that is regarded as an educational organization uh they have done something that is very difficult for a lot of ministries to do, and that is to be openly uh Christian openly evangelical in in its seminaries and the things that they they bring to China at the request of Chinese uh, leaders um, and uh, they are respected in China. So they have been able to uh, walk in areas that a lot of other ministries are um, finding more challenges in. Uh, But what Eric Berkland is telling us is that we need to be praying for the Chinese church. Um, It's not necessarily a situation that's going to stay open for everybody. Uh, There are concerns and they're valid. So be praying. Um when, when you have something like this coming down, it sometimes it's it's worded loosely enough that uh it can be left open to interpretation. And that's where you run into a lot of sticky, um, sticky difficulties.
0: All right, we're gonna um we're gonna talk about Turkey up next. We tend to think of Turkey as a secular state, um, providing for a freedom of belief and worship. Um but um that was true. It is true under the constitution of Turkey. It's not so true in reality. So uh, Ruth Kramer is, is going to continue uh, here sharing with us from missionnews.org. And when we get back from a break, we're going to pivot our attention to the nation of Turkey. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Today, I'm hungry
2: and I'm ready for change. i run too far to still be the same.
0: The situation um, in Ukraine, the Russian invasion, and now the war is affecting um, not only people in Ukraine and the surrounding nations where there is a massive flow of refugees, obviously also affecting the people of Russia as global sanctions intensify, but nations like Turkey are affected as well. Ruth Kramer is here from Mission Network News. You can read the articles we're discussing at missionnews.org. Um, Ruth, let's let's start with how the Russian invasion is hurting Turkey's already struggling economy.
2: Well, Russia is Turkey's largest source of imports, so um, you've got the shutdown of goods and supplies coming from Russia because of the sanctions, and then food that was imported from Ukraine stopped coming out. Uh, so now that has has increased the pressure on trying to get food into the in, into Turkey because two of the main sources have shut down and all of the Black Sea trade has been affected. Um, so what you're seeing is already uh, the difficulties with the inflation, uh, high unemployment and issues that have been facing uh, uh, the Turkish citizens uh, with the economic downturn and uh, inflation rates making what money that does come in uh, less effective. And, and now you have um, a shortage on food, fuel, and medicine. That is also compounding some of the, the issues. Um, and that leads to a lot of uh, uh, distress. And so ministries are looking for ways to try to speak some hope into that. Sat7 has uh, a channel specifically for Turks. So it's Sat7 Turk, and they've created a TV show that is trying to offer some comfort to viewers. It focuses on family issues. It comes from a Christian worldview. Um, and it's really, really raising awareness of the financial impact on families um, as it invites people to uh, to call them for encouragement or to encourage each other. It's sort of a platform where they can um, share each other's burdens. Um, this is kind of an interesting situation because all of this is happening as people are seeking an answer. They're looking for hope, and they're turning to the things that they they believe are offering that hope. So there's a lot more interest in uh, things from Christian worldview. There's more interest in the gospel, and because of that, you're seeing some some backlash now that's coming from the government. Uh, that's been kind of taking place, uh, I, I guess, a, a slow ramp up for the last four years or so. Um, so you're you're seeing. Uh, interest in the gospel. You're seeing things that are becoming much more effective actually now in terms of ministry uh, because people are more open to it, where uh, maybe in 2015, this saying uh, to be Turkish, to be Muslim, to be Muslim is to be Turkish um, was very, very true. It's it's sort of true now, but people are starting to ask a lot more questions. Uh, and the government doesn't like what's happening there, because it seems like it's kind of eroding at their power base. So um, back in, I think, what, 2018, if you remember the case of Pastor Andrew Brunson, who was an American Mm -hmm. pastor serving in Turkey, um, and he was kind of used as a pawn between the U.S. and Turkey over uh, a a cleric that was accused of um, taking part in and planning the coup attempt that took place in Turkey. Um, There was a lot of diplomatic stuff that was going on. Uh, and that was sort of the the poster child of what was happening to Christians in Turkey um, it didn 't end with Pastor Brunson because once he was released, what we found out was that there were many more. Um, uh, church leaders and missionaries who'd been arrested, who basically disappeared because they were just moved around in prisons uh, all over Turkey. And now we find out that Turkey's been expelling Protestant missionaries fairly regularly uh, since 2018. Um, So there are missionaries from the U.S. that have been expelled. We know that they've been expelled out of Canada uh, from um, missionaries from the U.K., South Korea, a lot of other countries that have sent Missionaries to Turkey who have had years, maybe even decades of ministry in that country, are now being expelled. Um, that's just something to be praying about as we kind of uh, sit and quietly watch the situation that's happening in Turkey. Um, the government is still struggling to really maintain control of what's happening uh, and and get some credibility behind its leadership, especially since um, probably since the coup attempt.
0: Mm. Yeah, you, you know, you when you say Andrew Brunson, and you remind me of, um, you know, just the saga that we all we all followed, we all prayed so, um, you know, acutely and intensely for him, and you know, just um, it is amazing how quickly the news cycle, how we cycle through, right? And um, obviously, he and his family are still living with the realities of what he endured, and so you've made me mindful, Ruth. Um, to tenderize my heart today to be praying for people whose stories we have told um places in the world that we have lifted up but you know our attention turns i think of necessity to the most you know to the most urgent crisis of the moment um so i mean even in the midst of this i guess i i'm wondering you know you and i have talked about afghanistan we've talked about lebanon um are there some updates from some of those places that you know even with a, in a in a minute or so you want to you want to highlight for us
2: I wanted to back up and and talk a little bit about Sri Lanka. We we described the Mm. chaotic state there. But one thing that I want to end on is the note of hope here. Mm. Um, You know, it's easy to give in to despair. But interestingly, the crisis in Sri Lanka seems to be sparking a revival. And the Christian worker we interviewed said, we've never had a revival in Sri Lanka. But Mm. he says, now I have seen I've never seen people in Sri Lanka praying as much as they are right now around the clock pastors and church leaders are gathering. The intense prayer has been going on for about two years now because they live in a context of spiritual darkness. And he says, now they're seeing prophetic utterances about a big revival taking place. So, you know, if you remember when we were talking to to our partners in Lebanon and they were saying, we were asking God to shake our nation and then Mm -hmm. everything happened, you know, that's so bad and the descent into what they are currently living in. Um, And then you speak to the Lebanese believers and like, this is what we were praying for. We were praying that God would shake our nation and bring revival. And that's what the Sri Lankans are saying. They said, we've been praying for a revival. God is shaking our nation. And this is what we're seeing as a result.
0: So Sri Lanka is, you know, just right there, southeast of India um and what you're talking about is conversion right you're talking about revival you're talking about conversion unto Christ um yep. spend a minute talking about india and the new anti conversion laws um coming uh you know coming across there
2: well if you have been following the situation in india it's uh, led by a bjp state assembly uh it's a hindu nationalist assembly that has been very supportive of shutting down uh anything that's not Hindu. So uh, the state of Haryana introduced an anti-conversion bill, which is, if it's approved by the governor, would make that state the 11th in India to introduce an anti-conversion law. Uh, Nine states actually have them on the books. So it's Odisha, Madhya Pradesh, uh, Chhattisgarh, Gujarat, Himachal Pradesh, Uttarakhand, Jharkhand, Uttar Pradesh, and Arunachal Pradesh. Those are the the country the states within India that have active anti conversion laws on the books that allow um, the government to suppress and persecute Christians and to silence them. Um, this is a matter of concern. Uh, we spoke with our partner Bibles for the World, and they say this is this was made aware they they were made aware of the situation actually while they were in India while the the delegation from the U.S. was in India. Um, so they don't know how it's going to be implemented just yet. Uh, it's not a law. It's a bill. But it is uh, it's a serious nature of, of for prayer. Um, mm-hmm. This situation for India, you know, the persecution that we've seen since the BJP took power uh, has has steadily deteriorated for believers. And uh, it, it's causing two things. It's causing fervent prayer um, and uh and a focused mission on what's going on, and the and the Indian Church is becoming their own church. So they are taking things and uh, ownership of leading the Body of Christ in their in their country.
0: That's good, right? I mean, that part's good. That part's all good. Um, it all is, right, Ruth. Yeah. Ruth, as always, thank you so much. Um, if you guys are looking for an update on Afghanistan, there is a piece at missionnews.org I don't want you to miss. Um, Afghanistan grows more desperate by the day under the leadership of the Taliban. Um, there, there is a, also a lot of information about what is going on in Ukraine in terms of ministry partners there. So catch it all at missionnews.org. Ruth Kramer, thank you as always so much. Thank you. We'll be right back.
2: You in the water, watch the rise
1: up me like
0: a lamp. Easter is uh, about reconciliation. It is about um, recognizing our need for a savior and then recognizing that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the one whom uh, whom God sent, the one who comes in human flesh to take on human sin to pay the penalty we could not pay that we might enjoy um, liberty from sin and death and the power of both. Uh, And so uh, Easter and thinking about Easter is on my heart and mind. Um, And I find curious the article out of London that somebody who stole two of Charles Darwin's notebooks some 20 years ago returned them on Tuesday left them uh, inside the library at Cambridge University in a pink gift bag with a note wishing the librarian, oh, you got it, Happy Easter. Happy Easter. So um, yeah, there's some um, opportunities for doing the right thing. Um, doesn't matter how long it's been. If you've got something to confess, if you've got... Uh, something to make right, it's a good time to do it. And do it in the spirit of Easter, in the spirit of Christ, in the spirit of reconciliation. we got another hour of mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.